Good morning. Welcome to Eastern Shore Baptist Church's podcast. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm so thrilled that you have decided to tune in this week. I certainly hope that today's message will be both encouraging to you, but also I pray that it will be convicting. You can find out more about our church by visiting www.myesbc.net. God bless you and look forward to seeing you soon at church. Before I uh, begin uh, my sermon this morning, I I just want to say what an opportunity our country has as the start of this week. I don't know if many of you heard, but a Supreme Court justice has retired. That's, That's a big deal, folks. That's a really big deal. Because our Supreme Court has really only been about one vote away from ending abortion in the United States. Last year alone, Planned Parenthood assisted in the murder of 300,000 children, one of the greatest genocides of our day. On average, as you look throughout the years, the United States of America has ended the lives, terminated pregnancies of a million children over the years. More than that, if you go all the way back to the decision of Roe versus Wade, We have over 50 million American children that have died at the hands of abortionists and doctors. And friends, this is a a thing that we need to really be praying for. And don't misunderstand me. I know that there are lots of issues right now in our country, but this is a critical issue. Whoever takes that seat is a critical cog in the wheel. And so I hope that you'll join me as we pray for our leaders, because no doubt there is going to be massive opposition to anyone who is pro-life coming into that chair. And so we need to be praying for all of those hearings. We need to be praying for that selection. We need to be praying uh, for our president who sets that roster. And I hope that you'll join me as we pray in there. By the way, I want to thank the choir. Uh, We had a little church up in here this morning. That was fantastic. Wasn't that awesome? I really enjoyed that. If you will, you can open up your outline for me and we can get started this morning. I want to make these three statements. One, America defends the weak. America defends the weak. You can see here a picture of Holocaust survivors as American troops stormed into their camps and liberated them from the shackles of death. You can see how excited they are. Again, I would encourage you to travel to New Orleans. If you've never been to the World War II Museum, let me drum up some business for them. It is fantastic. And it really does a wonderful job of helping recreate what it was like as we liberated those camps. And I walked away thinking, my goodness, imagine how many people inside those camps prayed for liberation over the years as they watched their loved ones tortured and gassed and burned to death and shot into graves. Uh, Friends, this is what we're about. We're about liberating people. And I'm so thankful that I'm a part of a country that has done that. Not only do we defend the weak, but we also deliver the oppressed. As a kid growing up, I was in seventh grade when the first Iraq war, the Gulf War, started. And uh, the name of Saddam Hussein had first uh, come across the airwaves of CNN. Remember back then, CNN, uh, they were broadcasting the war. It was the first ever televised war. And I can remember watching uh, that coverage 
of what was taking place and, and seeing uh, the Scud missiles and the Tomahawk missiles being shot. And of course, it would be many years later to when Saddam was finally toppled and the Iraqi regime thwarted and the Iraqi people freed. Now, of course, they've got lots of challenges in the absence of that leader. Uh, but I tell you, I'm so thankful that not only does our country defend the weak, but we deliver oppressed people. And lastly, I would say that our country in my lifetime, I've seen our, our country dispatch blessings around the world. I did some digging up. Currently, right now, on the books, the United States military commands more than 550 humanitarian projects in some 99 countries. That's a lot of projects. That's a lot of countries. United States forces, soldiers, by the way, are improving water supplies right now in Ecuador, flood uh, barriers in Bangladesh. Uh, they're building medical clinics in Uganda and schools in Kenya. Military experts train local and uh, local residents to remove landmines in Nicaragua and, and Vietnam. This is another fascinating statistic. By the year end, our United States military will have delivered more than 300,000 daily rations packages overseas. Our soldiers, our military men and women have dug wells, built schools, transported uh, hospital equipment to villages from Croatia to Colombia. The Army, by the way, uh, they will have trained many of the residents there uh, to, to continue to build things for themselves. The army will have trained uh, people from 11 African countries, Kenya, Ethiopia, Egypt, uh, Dubai, uh, Bur uh, Congo, Uganda, Rwanda, Tanzania to respond to disasters and deliver me uh, medical care uh, to other people. Our, our military has been in earthquake-ridden zones, saving people from buildings that have been blown down, blown aside, lives being saved. I really believe, by the way, if you're following along, I, I really believe that not only is it blessed to be in America, but I also believe that for much part of the world that America is actually a blessing. Now, I know that we don't do it perfectly. I, I know that we have struggles, and we've recently seen lots of those struggles in the media. But, but I also don't want to allow uh, our current struggles to overshadow the amazing amount of good that God has wrought through America. It's very profound. America is truly a place of blessing. And I also believe this morning that God blesses, his, blesses America, excuse me, through his people. That we today, Stuart Davidson, Angela Davidson, our family, that we have the potential to be a blessing to America. I believe that each one of you in this audience, in this congregation, has an opportunity to be a blessing to America, not to drag America down, but to actually add something to our culture that would sustain it and give it life and breathe new energy into it. I believe that right now we've got so many people that are sucking the life out of our country that are basically boxing in God and putting God up on a shelf. I believe it's time to take God off the shelf and allow God to work in his people once more. We've got an opportunity there. If you will, you can open up your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. And these are Paul's words to his young protege, Timothy. And Paul says this, I'm reading from the NIV this morning. He says, I urge then... First of all, that request, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. Underline that word, by the way, for everyone. Everyone. That means everybody from any place, from everywhere around the world. And it also includes our own country. We should be thanking God for everyone. Now look, he gives some um, 
uh, some, some references here. He says in verse 2 that we should uh, be uh, making prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. Verse 2, for kings and for those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of truth. Again, we have the word everyone, but then we also come to that other part that want all men to be saved. This means all people. We should be thanking God for all people, but we should also want all people to be saved. And as believers who have a greater citizenship in the kingdom of heaven, that should be our priority more than anything else. Our priority should be the things of God and a God doing great things through us, but also making prayers for all people, wanting all people to be saved. Verse 5, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Again, I was just talking as we began today's service that we have really two things in common. We've got one common enemy, okay, which is Satan, and then we also have one common Savior, which is Jesus. By the way, Josh did a wonderful job praying this morning. I've had the opportunity to travel to multiple different countries, and I've allowed, God's allowed me to rub shoulders with people from uh, several different nationalities, and we are different in most possible ways you can imagine people being different. And yet, whether I've traveled to Haiti or whether I've traveled to China or back and forth, there is always one common bond between believers, and it's this man, Jesus Christ, who died not only for me, but he also died for every person we've ever encountered, Bryant, in Haiti. Amen? He's also died for every person that we have ever encountered in France. Jonathan? Brenda? Yes? He's also died for every single person uh, that, that we've encountered from California all the way to the East Coast. He's died for every single person, me included. And so this morning, I want to handle just a, a few very brief points. Uh, but today, I suppose the, uh, the theme of, of today's message is this, is a plea, a plea for believers to be a blessing to America. And by being a blessing to America, I would say by being a blessing to the world. Because we have, a greater, uh, we have a greater command on our lives than just being a blessing to these uh, 50 states. We can be a blessing for far more. So this morning, let's pull apart 1 Timothy chapter 2. It, here, Roman number 1 is this. Our first step is to pray endlessly. To pray endlessly. I urge you then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. And of course, we know in verse 2, he goes on. It's also about kings and political authorities. And, and I want to say this. I think it's really important that first we, we pray for ourselves, but that we also pray for all of the entities that are within our United States. Uh, we should be praying for our president. By the way, just to be transparent, I spent the past, let's see, President Trump's been in office now for how long? A year and a half. Thank you very much. I, I want to be very transparent here. I prayed eight years for Barack Obama. I hope that you did too. He was our president. Barack needed lots of prayers. And, and I'm also going to spend, however long President Trump is in office, I will spend uh, my, my time praying for him as well. It's not because I, I'm a Democrat or I'm a Republican. It's because God told me to. God says very clearly that we should pray for those that are in authority over us. Barack Obama was an authority over me. Therefore, as a believer in Christ, I would pray for him, and I did for eight solid years. 
Just as I'm going to pray for President Trump, I hope that again, I'm going to, I hope that this morning we'll find some things we can agree on that will draw us together. And I hope that we can agree that because of what Paul says to Timothy, because this is an inspired word of God, that we can all agree that we should pray for those in authority over us. No matter what their political affiliation, we should be praying for them. And so this morning, I pray that we will pray not only for those that are in authority over us, but also for ourselves. Uh, you know, my favorite president, I've read lots of books on my favorite president, Abraham Lincoln. This is uh, one of the quotes that he said. This is uh, Abraham Lincoln in a call for a day. Listen to this. Can you imagine this being done today? Abraham Lincoln calling for a day of humiliation. <laughs> How do you think that would play out in Time Magazine these days? Probably not very well, Okay. But this is Abraham Lincoln calling for a day of national humiliation, fasting, and prayer. And this is a quote from him. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven, but we have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no nation has ever grown. Listen to what he says. But we have forgotten God. We've forgotten God. We have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these things were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own intoxicated with unbroken success. We have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. Friends, does Abraham Lincoln live in 2018? Is this a prophetic word from the man that liberated millions from slavery? Are we not engaging in the same processes today? Have we as a nation not forgotten God? Have we not been so busy patting ourselves on the back for where we are that we've practically broken our arms? Friends, I pray that one day we will come to this place where we have this idea that you know what? I need God. Personally, I need him every single day to make it through this life. And without God, I am nothing. I fall apart. I am a wretch without him. So what prayers should we offer? We should offer personal prayers. Friends, I hope you're praying for yourself. But pastor, I don't want to be selfish. It's okay. Pray for yourself. We all need it. You can't really expect other people to pray for you if you're not willing to pray for yourself. I, I hope that you're praying for yourself. But I will say not only should you also offer up personal prayers for yourself so that you can grow in the image of Jesus Christ, so that you can learn to, to love God's word, but I also pray that you'll offer public prayers. We need more public prayers in public forums. That's why whenever uh, the, the Daphne City Council asks me to come pray, I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. I'm ready to pray. I, I, I want to get behind them. Uh, see, I, I believe that the microphone here is so powerful, but I also believe that there is power in the microphones in civic government as well. And anytime we as pastors, lay members, leaders can stand behind a mic in front of people that don't necessarily believe everything that we believe and are offered and asked to pray, then we should pray publicly, out loud. And we ought to use that prayer time to tell people about Jesus. We should pray for God's presence in our life. We should be praying for the system of politics that we have currently. 
We should be praying for our Supreme Court, as I led with. We should be praying for our president. We should be praying for our House of Representatives, for our Senate, for our Congress. We should also be praying not only for national levels of government, but we also should, should be praying uh, for uh, county governments and statewide governments as well. We should be praying for our governor. We should be praying for the, the, the governor's race that's going on right now. It's a very important race. It affects all of us, and we ought to be praying for them. Why? Because God told us to through Paul. We should be praying for those that are in authority over us. We should be praying for our president. And again, I'm not trying to make uh, a political statement behind a pulpit. That's not what I'm trying to do. Because I know we've got people that are varied in political parties and affiliations. So don't send me hate mail that I'm, I'm trying to make a, a political statement. I promise you I'm not. But I will say this. We ought to be praying for our president. Again, I think we could agree that our president needs prayer. Just as the president before him needed prayer, and just as the president after him, no matter what his affiliation is, needs prayer. We should be praying for him. And we should be praying for other people as well. I think we as Americans, we get somewhat stuck in a rut of praying for Americans. And the reality is it's a great big world and God loves them all. Jesus died for them all. We should be praying not only for uh, America as a proper nation, but we ought to be praying for all people, all nations, all ethnicities from everywhere around the world. We ought to be offering up prayers for those people as well. Just this morning, I don't know, some of you come in here a little bit earlier, but we gather together as a, as a team and we pray over the worship service and we pray over the message. Just this morning, I offered a prayer not only for our church, because I love our church, but all the other churches that are in our area, all the other churches that are around the world that are, that are coming together with the singular purpose of worshiping the one Jesus that I love. We should be praying for all of them. And you know what's really interesting when you start praying for people, whether it's for a family member or whether it's for someone in your church or someone in your community or someone in your country or someone without your country, when you start praying for people, do you know what God does? God begins to plant a seed of love for all people in your heart. And as you pray for them, it will be impossible for you not to love them the way Jesus loves them. So if you don't want a heart for people, if you don't want to love all people, then don't pray for them. <laughs> but, I, but I hope that you will pray because as believers in Christ, that's what Paul tells us to do. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, he says to be joyful always. Pray continuously. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for Christ in you. So Roman numeral one, we have to pray endlessly. The L is to live earnestly. You can make a note there and you can write the, the word righteously. Live righteously. Going to verse two, for kings, we should be praying for kings and for all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Friends, are you living a peaceful, quiet life in every area of your life? Are you living a peaceful, uh, as far as it is unto you, okay? Now, I understand that we will have conflict. Even as a pastor, I deal with conflict all the time. But as far as it is to you, are you living, are we living peaceful, quiet lives? It's really interesting. We live in a little neighborhood. <laughs> I'm not on the HOA, thank goodness. Our HOA was trying to make a decision 
to do something in our quiet little sleepy neighborhood. And it, it was going to cost money. Now, if you want to get people really stirred up, start talking about money. And start telling them you're going to charge money. And I was talking to one of our friends who's on the HOA of our, of our neighborhood. And she said, you know, I really thought that we lived in a quiet, peaceful little neighborhood until we were about to do an assessment. We were going to start charging people some money for some projects that we were going to do. And she said, Stuart, you wouldn't believe all the mean, nasty, vitriolic things that were said about me, my husband, the people on the board, the letters that poured in, the things that were said on Facebook, the things that were said on Twitter. She said, it would blow your mind. People that we have walked the streets with as a couple, that we have waved as they do yard work and as we walk around. People that we've had neighborhood parties with or we've cooked hot dogs with one another, but then all of a sudden we, we did this thing and then all of a sudden all of this, this hatred and, and uh, uh, just nasty things were spewed out on social media. And this is the thing that Jamie said to me. She said, you know what, Stuart, isn't it funny that we would never say that to one another face to face. We would never say the things that were said face to face with one another. But then on Facebook, we say whatever we want, thinking that there's never going to be any type of action or, or consequence for the things that we should say. She says, Stuart, my husband and I are deeply hurt over some of the things that were said by our neighbors. So when I say, and I have to ask myself this too, of my own accord, when, when I have to say, am I living quietly? Am I living peacefully? Am I living gently? Am I living that in area, every aspect of my life? I'm not just talking about the physical lives that we live in. I'm also talking about the cyber world as well. Do you know that right now we have kids that are pushed to suicide because of things that are said online? Things that aren't even said to their face. I read a story the other day of a 12-year-old girl who took her own life because of, because of someone bullying her on some social media platform. Friend, let me tell you, your words in every aspect of your life carry weight and power. And we should be careful with how we use them. As a pastor, I'll be honest with you, I have to be very careful with how I use my words. Case in point, I, I, I have a friend here uh, in our church and we were on Facebook and we were bantering back and forth. We were having a pretty good time and, and I made a joke. I, I thought it was a joke. I, I thought it was funny. And do you know what? He didn't think it was a joke. It hurt his feelings. And we talked about it. And of course, I profusely apologized. We hugged. It was all good, you know. But my wife always reminds me. She, she says, Stuart, you need to understand you're not as funny as you think you are. <laughs> that, is the, that is the truth. That is the truth. Got to be careful with what you say. We should be living righteously. We should be living earnestly. Earnest defined is this, fervent, intent, purposeful, determined, industrious, ambitious, earnest, resolute, serious, sincere, implying having qualities of depth and firmness. Earnest implies having a, a purpose and being steadily and soberly eager in pursuing it. Are we really living earnest lives? You know, for the longest time, truly, for the longest time, I argued 
for Christians to take part in social media. I'm on social media. I'm on two platforms, three. And now I'm beginning to ask myself the question, would I actually make a better difference? Would I make a kingdom difference, a more kingdom difference, if I got off of it altogether? Would there not be a bigger statement made by believers saying, you know what? I'm not doing any good here. If anything, it's only shedding a light on the bad parts of my character instead of the good parts of my character. And because God tells me to love all people, maybe I should step back from these things so that the spotlight is not put on my flaws and the things that I would never say in front of somebody, but for whatever reason, I feel power to say it on a, on a social media platform. By the way, I will say this too. I would say 90, this is Stuart, by the way, Stuart math. I would say 90 to 95% of the division that we suffer right now in the United States of America is all because of social media. 90 to 95% of it. One of the kindest, sweetest ladies that I know in our church, I'm not going to say her name, but I saw a post that she said the other day. She said, you know what, I am tired of Facebook because all it does is bring up pain. It builds walls and barriers between me and my family and it just makes me feel bad. And yet, we're on it. Maybe it's something we should pray for, something we should pray about to, to bring more unity in our lives. Maybe we should have more face-to-face -face conversations. Maybe we should sort of look somebody in the eye and say, you know what? I may think something, which we all do, but you know what? I'm not going to say it out of deference to my Savior, Jesus Christ. Live earnestly. John Witherspoon, another founding father, he said it best. He said, he is the best friend of American liberty who is most sincere and active in promoting, listen, in promoting truth and undefiled religion and who sets himself with the greatest firmness to bear down against profanity and immorality of every kind. Whoever is an avowed enemy to this truth, I scruple not to call him an enemy to his country. Those are some big words right there, y'all. Did, did John Witherspoon live in 2018? One of my favorite stories, I have read several things about the Underground Railroad. Many of you have as well, but one of my favorite characters from the Underground Railroad uh, comes in between the, the, uh, the years 1830 to 1860 and its story of John Rankin. John Rankin, by the way, was a, a white Southern farmer who was also a Presbyterian pastor, preacher, and teacher in Tennessee. And John Rankin began to use the power of the pulpit to lead his people to understand that the southern black population in America, that they were more than just slaves and they were actually human beings with beating hearts, with brains, with intelligence, and more importantly, were, that had souls and that they were created in the image of God and that slavery was wrong. Now, can you imagine preaching that in Tennessee in the 1830s, 1840s, 1850s? They were wanting to, to string John up by his neck 
As a matter of fact, that persecution broke out so uh, rapidly against John that he fled Tennessee and went into Kentucky, began preaching the same message there. It was met with the same hatred. And from there, he went over to Ohio. And at, at this point, the Civil War broke out. And during the period of the Civil War, the Ohio River, it stretched across and it separated the north from the south. And John Rankin and his family, they started uh, participating in the Underground Railroad, secretly bringing people, uh, black folks, across the river from, from south uh, to north, setting them free. It's said that John Rankin and his family, that they set some 2,000 southern black men and women and children free. One of the great stories, and you can read it another time, is how John and his wife helped a young black woman cross the Ohio River during the rainy season as she held her baby in her arms. Talk about living earnestly. We should be earnestly serving our church, earnestly serving our city, our country. We should also earnestly be serving other countries as well. We should have a passion for other people. And many people have seen in the news uh, all of these things about immigration. I don't have the answer to that. I really don't. Uh, I've read the same stories, by the way, that you have read. I've seen our politicians locally uh, going up to Washington arguing against having tent cities here in Baldwin County. I, I'm a resident of Baldwin County, so this affects me as it affects you. Uh, I'm not going to say that I'm for it or against it. Uh, that's not really for me to say. But I, I did have a church member. But I know the only reason why I bring it up is because our church people are talking about it. And they're asking me my opinions. So I will share with you this opinion, Okay. Uh, some, a church member asked me, you know, Stuart, what are your feelings about having 25,000 uh, uh, Mexican refugees coming across the border and living in tent cities? Um, <laughs> I thought, do they know that it's hurricane season? <laughs> that doesn't make a lot of sense to me, okay? So I'll, I'll state that. I, I'm, I'm worried, one, about their safety, uh, for one thing. But again, this is just me, Okay. I will say this, I cannot control whether they bring 25,000 uh, Mexican people from south of the border and plant them in Baldwin County. But I will tell you this, I will be at the front of the line loving those people if they're here and telling them about Jesus if they're here. That will be my response. Because I, I believe that Jesus loves all people. I believe that he died for all people. I can't let... Uh, our politics get in the way of that. There are politicians that handle that. I am not a politician. I am a pastor called to love people and to share Jesus with people. Whether they're American, Sudanese, African from someplace, or from Mexico. That's my job. I hope you understand that, by the way. I just love people. So if they're here, I'll be at the front of the line. If they go somewhere else, okay. But I hope that you'll be in the line with me. I really do. So, John Newton, listen to what he says. Whoever is truly humbled will not be easily angered, nor harsh or critical of others. He will be compassionate and tender to the infirmities of his fellow sinners. Fellow sinners. Knowing that if there is a difference, it is a grace alone which has made it. He knows that he has the seeds of every evil in his own heart and under trials and afflictions. He will look 
to the land of the Lord and lay his mouth in the dust, acknowledging that he suffers much less than the iniquities that he has deserved. John Newton, by the way, a slave trader, author of uh, Amazing Grace. So we should be pleading with one another. We should pray endlessly. We should live earnestly. And then Roman numeral three, very briefly, we should evangelize eagerly. We should evangelize eagerly. First Timothy chapter two, verses three and four. This is good and pleases our God and Savior who wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Just this past uh, two weeks ago, uh, we had our vacation Bible school. Uh, at last count, we had six young people give their lives to Jesus Christ. That's huge. Praise the Lord. Just this past week, our students went to Centrifuge Camp. Joshua and Candace do an unbelievable job. Josh came back, met with me in my office this morning and said, hey man, we've got at least another four students that have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. In a week, uh, I'm going to be a part of a team. Bryant's going to be leading a team to go to Vermont. We're going to travel some 1,000 miles all the way up to New England. Why? Because we want people to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. We don't just want them to know here. We want them to know him there. Friend, the, the message of evangelism is for every single one of us. Well, preacher, that's not my gift. Fine. It doesn't have to be your gift. It is your command. It is your command. I don't have the gift of evangelism. That's fine. Maybe, maybe not everybody has that gift, but Jesus does command us to evangelize, to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everywhere that we go, it was the very last words that he gave to his disciples, and we are his disciples. Friend, I, I'll be honest with you, you've got a, a sign down here. Tony's probably going to talk about it, and I'm going to steal his thunder. But, but the gospel is going to be shared very richly on August the 5th. You're going to get one of these. I pray that you'll get them. I pray you'll put them in your yard. We, we put a lot of things in our yard, right? Some of you have got a, an Auburn deal in your yard. God bless you. I'm praying for you. <laughs> Just kidding. War Eagle Paul. Some of you have Alabama things in your yard. You'll put a Republican thing in your yard. You'll put a Democrat thing in your car. Put a Jesus thing in your yard. Boldly invite people to come on August the 5th to hear Jesus Christ loves you, died for you, wants to know you, have a relationship with you. I think we should evangelize eagerly. Now, I will say this for those of you that want to stay on social media. I would say this, turn your post towards Jesus. Send people Jesus' way. Invite them to church. Put some Bible verses on there. I know, I know some people may think it's trite, but I promise you it's better than most things I see. Evangelize eagerly. Matthew 9, 37 through 38. He said, then he said this to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but what? Workers are few. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Lastly, we should acknowledge Jesus eternally. In, our, in every area of, of our life, verses 5 and 6, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. Acknowledge Christ eternally. 
very briefly, I'll read some of these statements to you. Our founding fathers believed in several things. One, they believed in the Bible. For the record, uh, maybe we've got some visitors here, and maybe you're wondering where I stand on the Bible. I believe that God's word is perfect. I believe it is inerrant, meaning that it is without error. I believe that it is our manual for life, just like you have a manual on how to operate your car in the most perfect, precise way. I believe the Bible is the manual that God has given to us so that we could operate our lives in the most perfect and precise way. If you want your life to function the way God wants you to, that it to function, then you go to God's word. If it's not in God's word, don't do it. If you don't agree with God's word, then you better start agreeing with it. God's word's always right. If I disagree with God's word, guess who's wrong? Me. That's where I stand on God's word. Listen to what it says here, George Washington. Listen to this. Did we bring the Bible these shores? Or did it rather not bring us? The breath of the ancient prophets filled the sails of these tiny ships bringing pioneers to the new world. From those beginnings until now, the Bible has been a teacher of our, to our best men to rebuke our worst men and as a noble companion to us all. Boy, isn't that a great statement? It's a teacher to our best men and it's a rebuker to our worst. And I think I've been in both camps because this, this rebuked me quite a bit. So our founding fathers believed in the Bible. They also believed that our beginnings were blueprinted by God. Listen to Daniel Webster. More than all, our government and our country were founded from the very first by faith under the divine light of the Christian religion. Anyone who had wished that this country's existence had otherwise begun is deceived. Let us not forget the spiritual character of our origin. All from the Lord. Look at letter C. They also believe that the bond of our country is to Christianity. I'll say that boldly again. The bond of our country is to the Christian faith, is to Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that we kick people out because they don't believe us. Clearly, we all are thankful for the Bill of Rights and all the amendments, and we're thankful that we worship and, and, and have freedom. But our goal here is to worship the Lord, love people, Listen to what it says by John Quincy Adams. The highest glory of the American Revolution was this. It connected in one indissoluble bond the principles of civil government with the principles of Christianity. I'll close on this. Several years ago, I was flying. I honestly don't even remember where I was flying to. But I encountered a very young man, very well put together. He clearly was a professional and I sat down sort of about three seats from him. And his name was Alan. I do remember that. And I sat down about three seats next to him, uh, down from Alan. And I began reading and I looked over and I saw him reading. He was reading the Bible, just straight up, had a Bible in his hand, reading it. And I, I leaned over to him after a few minutes as I saw he wasn't just like cracking it open, but he was really turning the pages, you know what I mean? And so I looked at him and I said, hey, my name's Stuart. Uh, I'm a pastor, and he said, hi, my name's Alan. Uh, I work for the federal government. I'm a, a lawyer. And I said, oh, wow, okay, cool. Then I asked him where he was flying. He said, well, today I'm flying to Washington, D.C. I'm heading to the Pentagon. I I'm going to be meeting. This is a true story. He goes, I'm going to be meeting with the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Wow. Okay. I'm going to go get a hamburger today. That's pretty much my plan. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I think there's an In-N-Out burger down here somewhere. That's, that's my big plan today, you know? And I said, my gracious, that is amazing. I said, I, I, I need to be praying for you. 
And he said, oh, man, I would love prayer. And I said, you know, what are you reading? He says, right now I'm, I'm sort of in the books, books of the law. He goes, I'm a lawyer. I really love the law. And so I'm reading that, reading through those. And I said, Alan, why, why, do you, why are you reading the Bible? And he said this. It was very profound. He said, because I believe that every part of our government is grounded on the foundation of God's word. And he said, because I want to be the best public servant that I can, I want to understand fully the foundation on which our country was laid. That's pretty big. Friends, I, I'll say this. I believe that God has blessed us. You can cross this little part out. This is probably an error in my writing. I believe that God has blessed us, yes, to be a blessing to America. But if you will, would you cross that America out and write the world? I believe he's put us here to be a blessing, not only to these great states, these great people, but I believe he's also put us here to be a blessing to the world, to the people that he loves and cares for and died for. Would you bow your heads with me?